You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners. Welcome to another episode. We've got a great one for you tonight, folks. We Very presumptuous are, of you oh, to say that. It is. But you're you accurate. Know, it is. It, well, the great Bennett Yellen is with us. And yes. he's a, an Hello, amazing, amazing <laughs> film writer and just amazing, great guy. And, you know, let him introduce himself because, you know, what can we say that he hasn't already said about himself? Oh, for God's sakes. No, no, I'm an Orthodox, I'm a former Orthodox Jewish gay screenwriter. And, uh, I co-wrote, I, I, I co-wrote, uh, several Fairly Brothers movies with the Fairly Brothers, who are my very good friends, my good pals. Maybe we'll even get into how I met them. And, uh, and I've, I've had a 37 year, I think, career. Yeah. Of writing and, and show business and have seen many things. And uh have hmm. barely barely scratched the surface of talking about all the things I've seen, but it's been an amazing career. I, I am very lucky to have a career like I've had. Yeah. And I'm and, and you've never heard of me, which is I like I like the lowdown. I like keeping it on the low. <laughs> well, and for folks who are on YouTube, he is not cosplaying as Rocket Raccoon either, so it's okay. <laughs> no, he, not yet. No. I haven't seen I, I gotta go see that this week, but uh and finish it off, finish off the trilogy. But uh, of course, of course, and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon is here. Howdy, Mike. Howdy. You ready to I, take Bennett by the horns and see what we can do? With <laughs> it? Are you going to brand me? What the hell's going on? <laughs> what sort of uh, show did I get involved in? I, I am excited as well. I'm very, uh, we are very fortunate to have you with us. Um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, I like to find out like what the origin stories are. So, like, how far back did you? Be, become interested in, uh, if you want to call it show business or writing or storytelling. I prefer storytelling, but um, what the... Uh, wh- Story how, what, spinning. Let's, where, let's where, get alliterative. Where did that flame come from? Yeah. Um, well, I always, I always, as a kid, I was born and raised here in Los Angeles, which, which and the only reason I say that is not necessarily to, to suggest that the proximity of being next to Hollywood and driving by the old MGM lot as a kid. We lived right near there. That was in Culver City, and we lived near Culver City. And I would see the sets, and I'd see the showboat from Showboat and everything. And I, it was magical. It was just – it was magical. And, and I, I, I thought, wow, I kind of live in this city where this is a his, this is the history of the city. Um, and I was thrilled. I, I, I love movies. And my parents were very – gracious about taking I have I have two older sisters taking us to see movies all the time I mean I don't I remember my first my first movie memory was in the back of a car I mean back then I in the in the I was born in 59 so I'm 63 so there you know drive-ins were big you know in the 60s and we had a drive-in this this folded a drive-in and I remember the first movie I can vividly remember was this big movie called The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm. This is, I believe it's 1962. So I was three years old, right? And uh, there was one section in the movie where uh, Buddy Hackett and Terry Thomas are fighting this bejeweled dragon that I, I think may have been animated by 
Ray Harryhausen, or if not, it was Jim Danforth. Or, and I was terrified. As a three-year-old, I was just terrified, and I crawled into the the way way back of our um, of hmm. our. Uh, what Do you have a station wagon? wagon? Yes. I was going to say, you and had I, a station wagon, yes. right? <laughs> and I hid behind the, I was so scared. I was traumatized. So the station wagon with the seat facing the other direction. So you yes. The people yes. Sta- uh, no, no, station wagon with the wood paneling on the side. With the wood oh, paneling and the seat facing. So every, and I'd always be sitting in the seat that was facing the wrong direction. So I'd always be leaving things. I Like my whole life was watching the world as I'm pulling away, which was uh, probably good for my point of view. Uh, but I, I knew I loved movie. I loved movie. I loved two things. I loved movies and I loved Disneyland. Disneyland had opened, I think, in 57. I, gosh, I may have gotten that wrong. But, um, and so I, 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 I fantasized about, I wanted to make movies. I don't know how, I wouldn't know how I would do it, but I know that eating a steady diet of film and watching it on television, you know, I, we were plopped in front of a TV. That was a ba- our electronic babysitter, but we'd yeah. also, Watch, the whole family would watch movies together. There were, you know, every year the, the Wizard of Oz, it was an event, you know, all gathered together and we'd watch it. It was very, um, it, it was really a communal experience to enjoy these things with my family. We loved musicals, so we'd sit and watch all the musicals. And, uh, and so I just loved movies and I ate them, ate them, ate them. And I think eating them, I, I learned the language, you know, I, I, the, the, I, I saw things cinematically in my head. Uh, but I never thought I could do it. And I never, my father had no connection to the film business whatsoever. He actually had a school for uh, juvenile delinquents and wards of the court. That that was so, and, and group homes for wards of the court. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that sounds perfect for meeting people who are in the industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, where do they come from? They come or, from there. Future actors, or you know, I was going to say a, perfect, a lot of child actors ended up there. It was a perfect nest for Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so, and then I, 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 I lived at home until I went to graduate school. I went to UCLA, and uh, God, this is going to be boring. I'm going to try and make this fast. I got a, a BA in fiction in writing fiction. And I actually took classes from my really wonderful writers at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I wanted to, I, I, because I was living at home, I was Orthodox Jewish and I was living at home. I said, I thought it's time to experience something outside of my home. So I asked my teachers, what do you think is a good MFA fiction program that would be you know, right for me? And they said, several of them suggested uh, the, this program at UMass in Amherst. Uh, and they have a, they had a really good program at that time. We're talking like eight, 1983. Mm-hmm. 83, yeah. And so I applied. I got in. And I, off to school, I went. And uh, the first day of the first class, of my first time really away from home, in that first class, within the first 10 minutes, I met Peter Farrelly. We were both in it. We were sitting across from each other. This is how we instantly knew we had a twisted sense of humor. So we were supposed to bring the first page of one of our short stories to the class. And the teacher, a lot, who was a heavyset man named George Cuomo. And he said, now we're going to go around the room. We're going to read the first page. And then we're going to see what we can assume from each first page, maybe for the rest of, of the rest of the story. And Pete and I are sitting across from the table from each other. And somebody reads their first page. And George Cuomo says, now I like this first page, but, and I have one very big butt. And Pete and I looked at each other like, 
because he did. He was he was a large guy <laughs> and he had a big ass. And so as soon as the class was over in the hallway, we were like, <laughs> he had a big butt. That was our bonding moment. <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Pete. Hi, my name is Bennett. Instantly, we were friends. And uh, <laughs> and while we were there at the program together, we decided, because we had, we quickly realized we had a very twisted sense of humor, why don't we write a script? Why don't we write a movie? Uh, and so we said, let's do it. Let's do it. We wrote this comedy called Dust to Dust. Uh, it has never been, I, I mean, we pulled jokes from it. There's actually a joke from Dust to Dust in Green Book. And when I, Pete didn't tell me when I, when the movie started and I saw the joke, I went, bah! I was the only person in the theater. So, People were looking at me and I, I went to Pete out. I said, it's okay for you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and so neither of us knew anybody. I'm telling you, this, this, this is, sounds like a boring story, but really there's, there's a payoff to this. Neither of us knew anyone in the biz. All right. The program is run, is, is coming to, to close our MFA program. Uh, Pete, is on vacation in uh, New York and he is on a date with this girl. And she says, this is 1985. She says, you know, who moved in next door to my parents in Alpine, New Jersey, Eddie Murphy. Pete's like, really? Anybody, you, you ever see him? And she said, yeah, I saw him come out to get his paper. And he gave up her, her dust to dust. And she called a week later and said, he was washing the car and I ran out and gave him the script. Okay. Meanwhile, I had flown home for the holidays and I was back in Los Angeles and my sister Freda, yes, my, my sister Freda is who we based the name Freda Felcher. The character yeah. of Freda Felcher in Dumb and Dumber is based on my sister. Okay. So, uh, I, my yeah. sister Freda would go dancing and, uh, like folk dancing and she knew David Zucker from this and, and, Airplane had come out. Airplane was huge. So Airplane was huge. Eddie Murphy was, at that time, right off of Beverly Hills Cop, hottest star. So I asked my sister Freda to, to give David Zucker dust to dust, and she gave it to him. Now, months later, we're, we're graduated. We're, we're moving, going to move back to Los Angeles. We don't know what we're going to do. And uh, we've just, we get a – there's an article in the L.A. Times all about what is – Eddie Murphy going to do next off of Beverly Hills Cop. And I think it was the Eddie Murphy script derby. Who's trying to write a movie for Eddie Murphy? The opening line of the article was Eddie Murphy was looking out his Alpine, New Jersey home window when he saw a neighbor coming across the script, across the street with a script, uh, the script dust to dust. Here's what happened. Eddie had read it, loved it, wanted us to write for him. But they checked all the agencies in town, and there was nobody named Peter Fairley or Bennett Yellen. Oh. And he planted that at the beginning of the article to get us to call in. Meanwhile, oh. David Zucker calls my sister and says, I, I'd like to talk to your brother and his writing partner. We want those guys to write something for us. So that's how we got started. We got started handing scripts. You couldn't do it. There's no script to hand today anyhow. But Physically hand getting scripts to these act these these people who are no longer accessible. No one will accept a script. I won't. You know, I, I don't do it anymore anyhow. But if someone says, "Please read my script," we can't do it anymore because it it makes us legally liable. You know, you yeah, you say absolutely. I hand yeah you say I handed you my script, and then a year later I see there's a movie where there's a joke in it. You, talk, you know, so we don't we don't do it. So what happened then could not possibly have happened now. But we started out writing 
something for Eddie Murphy, which didn't get produced, um, and something and for the Zucker Brothers, which also didn't get produced, but we ended up working on uh, Ruthless People and several other projects with them. And that's how we got started. What a long... I, boy, do I deserve this. Yeah, you, oh, you, you do. So you do. do. This is vodka, yeah. by the way. So. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah. You're a writer, of course. You're a drinker. Um, <laughs> heavy drinker. Um, heavy. Heavy writer. <laughs> you're either a heavy writer or a heavy drinker. Um, the uh, I find it fascinating, especially the fact that you're born and raised in Los Angeles, and you're close to Disney, and you're close to mo- where movies are made, and yet, um, that's not your window. You move to the other side of the country to go to school, yeah. and that's where you start like really making traction. Uh, uh, and that's that's kind of interesting because a lot of people I know I've met from Los Angeles who grow up there, uh, they just see it as another industry. They don't even see the magic in it. No. Um, so the fact that you were able to preserve that, I guess, because maybe your family was outside of it, maybe. I think so. I, I, yeah, it's very possible. Just there was no connection to it. Watched movies. I really, really dissect because, I, like I said before, I kind of learned that language that mm-hmm. very much helped me to be able to to thrive in that in that business. I see gotcha. things like movies. I see gotcha. them in my head. You know. I'm also very excited that you went to UMass. I am from Massachusetts, and that was one of my. Uh, I went to college in '86, and uh, when I was looking at schools, that was one on my list because I was very much interested in in film and television writing as well. Nice. I, I got accepted in Emerson. That was not the school I went to, but that was, uh, that was, I was close. I was close. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you believe he missed it by that much? I did. Well, <laughs> I, I missed it by this much. Thank you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working and, and so, yeah, that must've been a big thrill to finally have something produced, right? Well, well, dumb and dumber. So, so Pete and I are writing, and what we're doing back in the 80s, the, there was so much development money. Hollywood was spending so much money developing script after script after script, of which they would make 10% of what they developed. But you'd walk outside and, you know, it was like pennies from heaven. You'd open your mouth and the cash would just drop down. And uh, and so we spent a bunch of years just doing re- – hired to do rewrites of of – scripts that were in production and one oh gosh we one we did there was a movie called oh gosh the, at the time it was called okay it came out it was called hiding out with john crier where he's he's like he witnesses a mob hit and he, and then he he's like a stockbroker and then he has to go hide out in high school and he's an adult hiding in high school um and at the time it was called adult education and they gave it to us and they said, we need a production rewrite. Now, we didn't, nobody sat us down and explained what the concept was production rewrite, which is very different from a rewrite. What it is, is the movie is going to be shot in a month and it needs just some fine tuning. Pete and I completely rewrote it, handed it <laughs> in, and the producer was also the co writer, was also the writer of it. And I remember they were so pissed off at us that we would do a rewrite rather than a production rewrite. We did not understand the terminology. We were new. So uh, there's a lot of our material in the movie, uh, but the, I guess the producer had to rewrite our rewrite. Uh, but we, that's, <laughs> so we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and then we we got other jobs. I remember during the 1988 writer's strike, we wrote 
a couple spec scripts. One of them, which has been uh, called, which was called Poison Ivy, and then it's called Death in High Heels. And oh god, I remember that one. But that one, it wasn't that one. It wasn't. It oh. wasn't the Poison Ivy with Drew Barrymore. Wait, right, it didn't end up being that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so we 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 were constantly working. And by the way, at this point, Pete's brother Bobby was not a writer. Bobby was just Pete's very funny brother who was actually uh, at one point working with what once we moved here to LA, Bobby would come to visit and Bobby and, uh, and uh, uh, Woody Harrelson became friends and they came up with an idea for <laughs> a round beach towel. You may wonder why, what would be the purpose of a round beach towel? But I'm going to, my, me and my hand will tell you. What happens when you, when you have to, when you have to keep ch- picking, getting up and changing the direction of the beach towel? You have to, you know, get all the sand out and then move it. But, but around beach towel, you can turn around in it like the, the dial on a clock. <laughs> and so, uh, and that was the, the novelty of it. And I gave them the name of it. It was called the sunspot. And they, they, and so that was, this was like, Woody had just gotten Cheers. So he didn't know. I mean, he he shot Wildcats, and he was here, but he didn't know what was going to happen with his career except he thought big. But yeah, so that's what Bobby was doing. And what would happen was Pete would take our, all of our scripts all the time and and have Bobby read them, and Bobby would have great great notes, mm-hmm. very funny. Always adds add layers of, of great terrific stuff. And so at one point we were hired to to write the sequel to. The movie Dragnet. Remember Dragnet with uh, Tom yep. Hanks and oh yeah, and, and, of course. And Bill Murray. So the the writer the writer director of the first one, Tom Mankiewicz, such a great guy. I love that man. He was going to do the second one, and uh, and at that point, Pete came to me and said, "Hey Bennett, what would you think if we just brought Bobby into the partnership?" And and I said, "Absolutely, let's do it." He's always had something great. And so that's when we became a, 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 a triumvirate, if that's the a right. Triple threat. A triple threat. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah. And then so now we were writing together. And again, nothing, nothing we wrote got produced together until Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber was the first thing that Pete and I wrote a few things that got produced, including a Paul Reiser spe- HBO special, which was directed by Carl, Carl Gottlieb of all people, mm. which had a great oh, cast. Really? What he was in that too. Yeah, um, but the guy uh, wrote Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the guy okay. wrote Jaws and the Jerk and Caveman and uh, and the Jaws Log, which everybody loves. The what, like yeah, well, my favorite that. making of yeah making of movie books. Absolutely. Yeah, Carl's great and was the uh, head of the Writers Guild for years. Uh, ben, let me stop you for a second stop because because um, uh, I want to know before we get into Dumb and Dumber, like so all the scripts that you're writing, are you focused primarily on on comedy first and foremost yeah, are you all trying comedy. All, are you trying all comedy so you're all not trying comedy to- that was okay, like gotcha. our specialty in fact our first agent and- oh okay oh, yeah, i'm sorry no no go ahead our first agent who was a junior agent at the time was richard lovett who's now the head of creative art been the head of creative artists for i think two decades or more but he was a junior agent that they just kind of oh you take these guys <laughs> <laughs> um now so when you when you guys uh, uh, focus on your comedy, where where are are you coming from? Do you have different influences, or what? Who's your influences when you're writing comedy? Well, I would say 
I was the I mean, I had seen so much and I loved comedy so much and, and I, I just had, was so versed in it. And they were pretty much restricted to the Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't they I, go on to make I, a Three Stooges movie? Huh? Then they go on to make a three stooges. They made. The they three did, stooges, yeah. Right? They love the three stooges. They love the three stooges. But I, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to demean them. Like, no. Like, you know, but that was that was sort of the area that they liked best, and, and mm-hmm. I was all across the. You know, at, at that point, I my favorite comedy is uh, Some Like It Hot, which is nice, like, yeah. really wild, and, yeah. And when, I remember when I saw that in a movie. I saw it at UCLA when I was in an undergrad as an undergraduate at UCLA, and I saw it. They showed it, and I was like. You could do this in the movie. You could have every line connects to something later in the movie. And like, it was eye opening to me. And I said, okay, this, this Billy Wilder, I'm going to see more. And Billy Wilder ends up being my favorite writer slash director. Uh, but, but I, I think that I was way more informed. I mean, even with, with Dumb and Dumber, for instance, I said when we started to write it, they hadn't, I was always showing them stuff. You know, we had VHSs, you know, and we had of video course. stores. And so with Dumb and Dumber, and again, I'm not trying, I, I, this, I don't want to make it seem like I love those guys and they are incredibly brilliant, brilliant people, you know. But back then, I definitely think I had a, a more of, a, a more of a comic understanding. I've seen way more comedies than they have. Right. right. And that, that, that's really what I'm trying to very badly convey here. But I, I said, guys, what if we do this? And I showed them two Road 2 movies. And I've never heard anybody get this from Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber is a Bing Crosby, Bob Hope Road 2 movie. I can see that. Oh, yeah. See that. Totally is. So. Yeah. I mean, they are both stabbing each other in the back to get the girl, which was directly, and it's, and it's a road, it's a road picture. I mean, it's definitely, you know, and I showed them those and they said, yeah, that, that's, let's do that. Absolutely do that dynamic in this movie, you know, with these two guys, Harry and Lloyd. Uh, and that was what I do that. A lot. I showed them a movie called Chained for Life, which is, uh, a, it's a horrible melodrama that starred t- two, of course, two real Siamese twins, Daisy and Violet Hilton, who I, I'm, if I remember correctly, were joined at the hip. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which if you're going to be joined, that's not a bad place. You know, that's uh, <laughs> true. If, if there's all these options, hip is not too bad. And like the movie is ridiculous. Like one's a good girl and, and the other one's like a little ra- raunchier and she meets this bad boy and the, the raunchy one ends up having to kill the bad one, but they both go on trial. That led to, uh, to stuck on you. Uh, oh, right. Of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so those, just an example of sort of like something I'd show them that would inspire them later. Yeah. So the initial, so where did the initial concept uh, besides the road movie of Dumb and Dumber, was that the initial concept that we want to make a road movie and went from there? Or was there, was there something else that was already in place to create that? There, there, there was something else. And, and, and basically, basically we wrote it for John Hughes. So, so, and I don't know. Okay. So Hughes was, was pretty big at that time, you know. He Absolutely. Had, yeah. And, and he had a deal at Universal. There's a reason why I'm specifying all this. And we came in, we pitched him dumb and dumber and he fell out of the chair. La- he fell out of the chair laughing at the joke 
Yeah, well, he was pretty, like, like his head fell off. Yeah, he was pretty old. He fell out of his chair. Pete reminded me of this like a couple of years ago. I said, oh, really? He did? I said, yeah. He, he felt, he let, you were pitching that and he fell out of the chair. He said, guys, I think this is hilarious. Go write this movie. And if I like it, I'll let you direct it. Wow. Oh, I wow. know. I mean, no one had said <laughs> anything <laughs> like that to us. So we went away and we wrote it and we came back. And we gave it to him. He liked it. But what happened was his deal at Universal was ending. And when, when a, Typically, when uh, somebody their deal ends and they go get another deal somewhere else, like he did at 20th Century Fox, where he then wrote Home Alone, <laughs> all of the movies that that he developed at Universal kind of just fell into the the crevasse of development, you know. Right. Bye bye. And so that's what happened with that script, you know, and and the, and the promise that we would direct it. And, uh, so a few years later, we thought. We showed it to somebody, a friend of ours, Charlie Wesley, who ended up producing the movie, who worked for Island Pictures. And Charlie said, this is a very funny script. I, I, I'm, I'm going to, you guys, we're going to get this made. I remember we took a picture in his office. I still have it of us that day where he, he promised that we were going to get it made. Uh, and, uh, and so through, we decided to try and get it made. And we had to go back to John Hughes and ask him if we could take it around, you know, get his permission. Mm. And he said, yes, you can, but, you can't use you can't use me to set it up. You can't. I'm not attached to this. And like if you use my name to set it up, you have to pay me a million dollars. And we said, well, we just we just saved a million dollars on the budget. Exactly. So we're very happy that we don't have to do that. So that's why nobody knows this story, you know. Um, but so I hope it, you don't have to pay him a million dollars. Well, he's gone. So I, I know, and, and 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 I think that contractually that, that may be uh, a thing of the past. But yeah, uh, I hope so. Yes, let's, let's, let's hope so. Otherwise, let's his hope. family is going to get a big. Unless you guys have a scoop, um, <laughs> but that's how that's where it started. No digging it up then, on this show. And, and we sent it around twice to every studio, and everybody passed twice. I mean, I think they even passed more. We changed the title of it <laughs> when we sent it around again. To we called it uh, a power tool is not a toy. That was one of the titles. Another title was Go West. We just thought, you know, mm-hmm. maybe people who read it and, 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 you know, the readers who did a, sum, a synopsis of it won't recognize it by the title. Everybody turned it down. And then a little company that was making these kind of low budget movies that was in Santa Monica called the Motion Picture Corporation of America. They loved it. They said, we'll do, oh, we, when we were sending it around, we were saying, and Pete's going to direct it. Like we just, I remember Richard Lover, our agent said, just say that, just like, just manifest it by making it real, by saying that it's happening and you never know, maybe it'll, it'll create a momentum, which is exactly what happened. So the people at Motion Picture Corporation liked it enough that they said, we'll make it, we'll make it with Pete directing it. Pete had never, had, hadn't directed traffic. I mean, he, he had directed zero, you know, um, and so really it was outrageous to to attach him but why not i mean if you're going to be outrageous be outrageous like that and so at that point um i can't remember how new line got involved but but motion picture corporation was going to make corporation was going to make it they were going to make it for a a, a very low budget but they're going to make it mm-hmm. and then uh new line had just made the mask with jim carrey and he and he'd already shot and it was about to come out um uh, Ace Ventura and uh, 
he got, I, I'm trying to remember how he read the script. They might, I think Motion Picture Corporation wanted to maybe, uh, partner with somebody else, another studio, and maybe that's how they sent it. But he got the script, he read it, and he loved it. He said, I, I want to do this. And once he did, suddenly, like, everything. So he was attached first? I was going to ask you when Jim and Jeff came aboard. <clears throat> he was attached. Oh, yeah, he was attached first. And in fact, when he was attached, coming off of the mask, his price was 700000 and uh And New Line said, we said, get him, get him now. Snap him <laughs> up. You know? And uh, what do we know? But... And they said, let's wait until the mask opens and see how, how it does. And the mask opened huge mm-hmm. and, uh, and they ended up having to pay him seven million dollars. So, oh man. Oh, I know. Geez. Yeah. Right. But he was attached first. And then, and then it was a question of getting a co-star and, uh, oh boy, New Line pitched us everybody from, uh, John Stewart to Sinbad. Those were some of the, the people who <laughs> were. Wow. In, in, that would have been different. I know very much so. Yeah. Wow. Um, and Jim, we had seen, we loved something wild that, that Jonathan Demi movie with, uh, with Jeff yep. Daniels, Melanie Griffith and one of and, my yeah. favorites. One it's great. Favorites. It's a great. Yeah. And, and for the first two thirds of the movie, it's, it's a comedy. It's really a black comedy until it becomes like a, a dark. Thriller at the end, yeah. the last act, but we just thought that Jeff Daniels was so fantastic. He was so good with the comedy, you know, in in something wild, and that stood out for us. Also, by that time, definitely, um, uh, uh, Terms of Endearment had come out, and we just loved him. We thought he was great, mm-hmm. and so, uh, and we also were convinced that if we had an act, because we thought he was a real actor, and not like we didn't think Jim Carrey was an actor, but Jim Carrey was just so. So known for being big and everything. Yeah. Uh, that he would pull Jim to pull him more into acting, you know, he would an actor rather than a comedian who, who might be trying to compete at that same energy level with Jim. And, uh, and so that's, and so, but he, they, they just love each other. Instant chemistry, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they really got each other fast. Wow. And the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> well, you, you went on to, uh, I mean, it spawned uh, a TV series, a, a couple of sequels, right? Um, were you uh, heavily yeah. involved with all of those? I was, I was unfortunately somewhat involved with the animated show. They, I had no, absolutely no business being involved with it. <laughs> and I had no experience in that sort of position as like, like a showrunner, none whatsoever. And I, I kind of got dropped into that, that, uh, because I guess they thought have one of the writers of, of the movie be one of the, you know, uh, it was not, I was not well suited for it at all. So, um, and, and I think that reflected in the show ending only after certain episodes of, if I could go, if I had a, a go back machine, I would go back and, and do that a whole different way. Um, also, we weren't involved um, creatively with the prequel. That's what right. first thing that New Line did was to come to us and not pitch a, a a sequel or another movie with Jim and Jeff. They were like, maybe we can make a quickie prequel where they're in high school. And we said, the whole joke is that they're adults, they're adult adolescents, and if they're teenagers who act like idiots, it's not funny. It's 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 the fact that they're adults and they act like idiots, like kids. 
So we turned that down. We didn't have anything to do with it. My name is on it as exec, you know, executive producer because they said, do you want, do you want your name on it? And I was like, I don't know how that could bite me in the butt. So I said, sure, let's keep it on there. Peter and Bobby were a little more, <laughs> a little more sophisticated, but, but then, and then the, the official sequel, Dumb and Dumber 2, that was, you know, officially all of us together working together on that. Uh, and that was fun. I had so much fun working on two. It was, it was a blast. That's awesome. Now, yeah. do you, did, do you stop, uh, on these movies or in any of the others? Do you stop in the writer's room or are you on set as well? Uh, I, well, the, the, the lovely thing is when you co-write a movie with the directors, you have a carte blanche that's just terrific because they want you there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they trust you. I mean, you're the person they trust. And so it's, it's, it's one and, you sh- and it's, it's an advantage you absolutely should take advantage of. Uh, because a lot of times a director doesn't want the writers on set or, or, you know, once the writer, yeah, it, I've, I've worked on as many projects where the directors were operating in their own sphere and didn't want, you know, and also I, I've, I've learned how to, when to be, to suss the sensitivity of whether you should be right. there or not. Are you in the way? Are you helping? I mean, if you're helping, you're always welcome, you know, but uh, to just kind of hang around and be like, like you're watching what you're doing with my script. They uh, directors don't like yeah, just shaking your head. No, yeah. that doesn't work. No. And, and, and really when you, when you hand a script over, you're handing it over for interpretation. I mean, nobody's going to the when you write it with the director, you get the movie you wrote. You know, when you write it with the director, when you don't write it with the director, you, that's, you're just handing it over and saying, abuse my child. Go ahead. Do, do, <laughs> you know, do what you're going to do. And, and, uh, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll make a good movie, but, um, yeah. So, so ideally it's, it's so much fun. I love collaborating with, with the director. I mean, I like writing it with the director and I've done it a few times. Fortunately, I've had I've had all both the experiences, yeah, with and without. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get to the and finally strap you down to the geek seat, I was wondering um, if there was anything else in your in your on your resume that uh, you would want to draw attention to people that should check out because there's a lot of things here, and I'm like, these are pretty interesting stuff. Well, it's, uh, well I'll tell you what, it, it's if you notice, it's a pretty wide ranging thing because there's comedy yes. on it, but then there's like a a really graphic thriller there's horror there's a sequel to to um joyride to joyride joy called cleverly joyride 2 <laughs> i think it's called joyride 2 dead ahead but i'm a <laughs> i love genre i At love comedy. Left out the electric boogaloo part you know so we left it <laughs> of course wouldn't you of I like genre and I always have. So I, I love thrillers. I love, I love horror. I love suspense. I, I like, I like all those different colors. Um, and so it's been fun to, I, I, we just, my, my writing part, I've had a writing partner for the last 15, 16 years, which is a long time for a writing partnership, James Johnston. And, uh, we just, the Friday before the strike started, this producer who had optioned a supernatural thriller that we wrote called Traction took us to breakfast and said, guys, what do you think? Are we, are we going to strike or not? And, uh, we said, yeah, looks like it's happening. He said, 
well, I want to buy your script before the strike, which was literally like four days later. Huh. We were like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, great. So he bought it. I mean, we did the paperwork fast. We signed uh, on April 30th. The strike started May 2nd, I think, technically. And the, the irony is that he rushed to buy it because of the strike. And they're in pre-production and we can't, we're, we cannot be involved with it whatsoever because <laughs> right. of the strike. Because so of the strike. It really is a, a give and a take there. Um, right. That's called traction and that, that he's going to, they're going to make that, uh, toward the end of the year. And that's a supernatural thriller. So that's not, not a comedy. I, I prefer to write comedy because you're in the headspace of thinking comically for the time, for the period that you're writing that script and, and everything. And so you're, you know, it's, you're in a happy place when I'm writing a horror movie or something. It's just, that's where your head is at. I don't like being usually after every horror script that we've written or something in a, in a, in that sort of genre, I've said mm-hmm. to my writing partner, I have to, we have to get back to comedy because I can't be, <laughs> have this in my head like this right now. It's too much. So, but, um, I go to my IMDb page and say, you know, we wrote a Christmas family movie. We, you know, uh, we're all over the place. So, uh, but I've had such a blast doing it. I can't believe I, I'm, I was so the universe gave me this opportunity. I'm very great. Gratitude is a big word for me. Very grateful, as you'll probably yeah. tell from my, my geek seat answers. I do got a quick question though. Seriously. Yes. Yes, Mike. Uh-huh. You know, you were raised Orthodox Jewish. Yes. How did your parents handle, you know, Dumb and Dumber and you know, <laughs> movies Oh, like good that. question. Good question. All right. I've got two good answers for you, too. Uh, nobody's asked me that ever, so that's good. So my dad, instead of his yarmulke, would wear the Dumb and Dumber. I, I got these hats when it was coming for Christmas. He would wear the Dumb and Dumber hat. So for the whole, for the rest of his life, since the, instead of wearing a, a, a yarmulke, he'd wear the Dumb and Dumber hat wherever he went. So Sure, sure. So I, I think he was proud of it and managed to, to fit that into his into his devotion to God. My mom, I, she only had one review of the movie on the refrigerator, and I wish I could remember who said this in the review. But the review said the writers' mothers should be ashamed. <laughs> and that, oh, that's that was, awesome. That was my mom, the only review that she put up on the refrigerator. So uh, that'll tell you something about my mom's sense of humor. (laughs) I was worried because, you know, I know a lot of, you know, I grew up with that. And I grew up, you know, with all denominationals and everything, even all the way up to the Hasid. And it was, you know, and especially growing up in upstate New York, we had the Hasidic um, camps, you know, the summer camps where they came up. Yes. And everything yeah. in the Catskills and everything. One time, um, my, cause we, I was living in Maryland, but we spent our summers at my grandmother's house up in the Catskills. And when my, one of the times my mom's boss was coming up and when he got there and he says, I didn't know there were so many Amish up here in the Catskills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we had to all, explain that. To all him. those horse driven Lincoln. Lincoln. Uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. It was yeah. a whole nother world. It literally, but it was just always interesting. They were, uh, they were appropriately proud. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, so 
but they had a great sense of humor about it. And, uh, and that's were, awesome. Yeah. That is funny. awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love it that they did and they were so accepting with it and everything. Cause I've heard both, both sides. So, so. and honestly, I, 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 I swear it to you guys, but I don't think they ever understood what the name Felcher meant ever, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that's probably a good thing. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> I think it's a really good thing. Sorry. I, my, my parents don't understand podcasting at all. So it, that's it's, good. It's, it's even better. Yeah. All right, Bennett, you ready for your first question in the geek seat? Sure. All right. What was your favorite geek app moment? <laughs> okay. All right. Here's, here's it. Uh, 1976. I, my favorite writer was William Goldman. William Goldman wrote Marathon Man, The Princess Bride. He was a screenwriter as well. He won the Oscar for all the all the presidents, men, and uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I I loved his writing, and he wrote the way I thought. You know, his sentences were exactly like my brain would lay out words, and I, I was a huge fan. And when I read The Princess Bride, there was a character named Yellen in it. I couldn't believe it. There's a villain named Yellen, and so I wrote him a fan, a gushing fan letter. And uh, at the end, I was in high school. And at the end, I said, "P.S. You're under no, you're under no obligation to answer this, but if you don't, I'll kill myself." And uh, I got an answer from him, a beautiful handwritten letter, and I will quote it for you because I'll never forget it. It was actually dated on my birthday, no, like the date of my birthday, November eighth, and so 1976. I was 17 years old. Uh, Dear Bennett, thanks for thanks so much for your note. I I normally hate writing them but after reading yours i couldn't have you killing yourself either <laughs> he said thanks so much for the flattery i'll do my best not to believe it sincerely william goldman and oh, that's that, awesome and that was the moment where i said that's what i want to do i want to be a writer like like william goldman and that was that was the defining moment so that is my geek that oh, is your origin that is an awesome story that's when oh, he yeah. gets his. That's when he gets his superpowers. Mm-hmm. That's when I got my super. And, and by the way, I had some guy write me a letter like that, uh, like a fan letter saying, "Your, what you wrote and what you do uh, made me want to be a writer." And I got that, and I had tears. I've since talked to the guy. I had tears in my eyes. I'm like, this is insane. I, I, that's that was for William Goldman. It, it shouldn't be for me. That was for. I, I was very very moved that. I could have inspired somebody to do the same thing. It was really beautiful. Nice. And his name was Neil Gaiman, right? And his name was, <laughs> uh, yes. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Well, I, it, what here it is. It didn't happen to me, but because it, it involved something I'd done, it was. I love Albert Brooks. I just love Albert Brooks movie. I was, you know, I'd see his short movies for Saturday Night Live. I, I like saw the first episode i was watching saturday night live from the first episode we would talk in school the next day you know that was saturday we talked on monday we'd be everyone would be discussing saturday night live like it was a water cooler show and uh albert brooks movies were very funny and when he made his first movie real life i ran to the theater to see it and i was screaming with laughter in the back so i love this guy loved his second movie uh modern romance and in the movie modern romance He's got a bird named Petey and he's talking to the bird. Well, we named Petey in Dumb and Dumber after Petey. Okay. Mike caught that. Not a lot of people have got, 
So Pete was at a party. This is after Dumb had come out, but not that long. Maybe a couple, a year or two after it had come out. And he saw, you know, Albert Brooks, and he went up to him and all excited. He said, Mr. Brooks, I just wanted to tell you, my name is Peter Farrelly. I, I co-directed, uh, you know, Dumb and Dumber. And we named the bird Petey in Dumb and Dumber after your bird in Modern Romance. And he looked at him with, with, with extreme disinterest and said, ah, that, that, that's nice, and walked away. That oh, is my most disappointing geek out moment because, you know, although yeah. I still love Albert Brooks, I'll, ne- I'll never. Because you would expect oh, Albert Brooks go, I'm flattered. Thank you. Right. You or know, something, something like that. Like, like, yeah. But, but it was, it, it was the absolute opposite of that. Or give you some Albert Brooks, you know, response or something like that. I know. Yeah. Say something funny, Albert. You're the funniest guy in the world. <laughs> really? You named him after my bird? Really? Yeah. You know. Right. Like, so, so yeah. yeah. What geeks you out the most? Uh, what 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 geeks me out the most? Mm-hmm. Oh, I this. Whenever I whenever I get a confirmation that something that I, like uh, something I like in a movie, a moment, uh, a theory, like like the director did this because he meant to, he or she meant to do that. Whenever that's confirmed by the filmmaker, by the artist that loves Stanley Kubrick, and so I would and Kubrick reluctant to give answers because he he just that was him you know mm-hmm. but he did there were interviews where he'd talk about certain things like like 2001 and what and when i'd find that what i was thinking about it that you know again if it if if i when i find out that i'm i'm on i'm in cahoots i'm you know with on the same way the artist basically. right on the same level of what the artist was intending it always thrills me it makes me so excited yeah nice. No, I yeah, really understand that. Well, thank you. And now you can't use it. <laughs> <laughs> what turns your geek off? What turns my geek off? Okay, and this is—I I know this is a, this is a, it's not controversial, but I think there's a fine for me. There's a fine line between between like geek and geek appreciation, and then over appreciation. You know, this is like this is like when if you if you like like Disney. Disney, Disneyland and Disney things, but you name your kids after Disney characters and you've got a tattoo of the Wicked Witch on your back. And uh, when you go, so going overboard with geek enthusiasm, I find is a turnoff. There's a very, there's a kind of, for me, there's a fine line where it's like, this is enough and it doesn't need to be more. And it could be, and, and uh, this happens a lot where I will have loved something that I saw years ago that nobody cared about no but nobody watched it whatever and suddenly now it's being just people have found it and they just they're loving it. and i'm like wait 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 i, I was there first you know like <laughs> stop being so excited about it. i was there first that 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 burns me a little bit but just just a level of enthusiasm i find pull it back pull it back for me yeah i always found that very much so like when I was in high school and I liked certain things and people used to make fun of me because I was, I was a fan of it. And yes. And then, you know, now, or, you know, within the last 10, 15 years, then they're, you know, seeing these people who made fun of me that I'm still friendly with or whatever, you know, being, Oh, I love that show. I've always loved that. Show. It's like, no, yeah, I didn't. you suffered their slings and arrows, pal. Oh, I, I got the <laughs> no. wounds, dude. I actually got the scars. Yeah. Yeah, so I totally understand that. Yeah. 
What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Ah, I, I, you know, I love James Bond. So, and I love Bond movies, but I love Bond books. And uh, it would be James Bond. I, I mean, which Bond? Whoever he is. I, I, I was huh? going to say, I was going to say, get, which Bond? Don't ask me to pick, but it would be Connery. It would have to be Connery because Connery <laughs> was my first Bond, uh, you know, because I'm a child of the 60s. So it would have to be Connery. But I love David, uh, Daniel Craig. I think Daniel Craig. I even love George. Uh, no. Oh, Lazenby. George oh, yeah. Lazenby. I, I thought George, I, I loved Honor Majesty's Secret Service when I saw that in 69. I was 10 years old. Yeah. Thought it was great. It's awesome. Yeah. What fictional character would you not like to meet, though? Ah, um, I put down uh, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> and <laughs> That's fair. Because, and, and, it's, and it's a mixed thing because I know that we would have a fantastic meal first before he did something hideously awful to me. So, uh, so I mean, it's almost worth the, 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 the delicious meal. You would be dessert, basically. I'd probably <laughs> be dessert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, he might have a delicious meal. I don't know and, if I'd and, be so lucky. <laughs> And maybe stew for a month. No. <laughs> There's a lot of me. Where's Bennett? Oh, I don't know Bennett. I know Stu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's spelled S T U. What is your yeah. favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? I you're gonna like this one. Um I thought about it and thought about it, and this one just popped into my head, so I had so I had to say it. Okay. But and I wish I could say it with with the same the same way this brilliant actor said it. But by grab Thor's hammer, what a savings! <laughs> I love <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Love Galaxy Quest, and that line just makes me shriek. He was so funny, Alan Rickman, when he said that. What a savings! Just an entire so career drool too. So cool. <laughs> I don't know how they're gonna. Do a TV, like do a series without him. I just don't. Although with AI, hey, we don't even need him anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can just him. create him. We've, we've got we've, we've had deep conversations about AI on this show. Oh yeah, a couple times. And not, and not the Spielberg movie. You're talking about the reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Spielberg movie, we don't talk about at all. We don't it's okay. <laughs> I don't think no. anybody. Does. Maybe the friends who ridiculed you for not liking it will later on. Say, you know what, Mike? You were right. It was it was uh, an odd it, film. It was awful. No. <laughs> yeah. What, are, what is your ideal geek occupation? Well, you know, I, I told you how I, I loved Disneyland growing up. I want the two things I wanted to be was when I was a kid was an Imagineer, and because uh, I wanted to make rides, I wanted I wanted to create this experience for you, which completely played into the fact that I was a magician as a kid. This is the exact same thing. You know, here's a stage, you're out there, I'm up on the stage, I'm creating this experience for you. That's film. That's a movie. You know, that's that's the same process of you're the audience, I'm I'm the creator creating this thing. And I wanted uh, huh? Oh sure, of course. Yeah. And so and rides are are particularly like like Disneyland rides. They're they're four minute movies. You know, Mm -hmm. you you move scenes and things like that. So I loved uh, growing up. I just loved amusement parks and, and rides and everything like that. And my, my, I loved roller coasters, loved them. And I would write to amusement parks and get them to send me their brochures. And, and sometimes they'd even send me uh, plans for upcoming coasters. And I'd be so excited. I would pour over everything I got. So my, 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 my ultimate geek, ocu- or geek occupation would be 
to design the ultimate roller coaster. I would love to design a roller coaster or an attraction. I actually did design a dumb and dumber ride. Really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> which was, which was, was, and I got, I had, I commissioned uh, an artist to do several, uh, drawings of the ride. And it was, you, you know, you get in the van and you're, you're actually, it was called Highway to Hollywood and you're, you're taking an, a, a dog to a big premiere in Hollywood. And you go over Niagara because they're so stupid. You go over Niagara Falls and you end up, you know, uh, and, and, you know, when you do that, you smell like wet dog inside the, inside the <laughs> van. Things like that. It was very cute. Yeah. And Universal Studios just didn't bite with it. Damn. Universal Studios. Didn't. But I tell you, I have a friend who works at Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, who works, who used to design, uh, rides and is now working for Warner Brothers on their Warner Brothers parks. And he said, don't think we haven't. It hasn't come up, the idea of, <laughs> of Dumb and Dumber as a ride. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's okay. look at the flip side of that, though. What geek <laughs> occupation would you not like to do? Well, here here's what I came up with. And, and, and no offense to everybody who loved, but I, I've never been a big fan of video games. And I, under, I, please, I understand their appeal, but I never – I didn't even like – game like 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 games in arcade games and i didn't enjoy playing against a, 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 an intelligence like an electronic intelligence I, I i liked human beings interacting and so i was never a huge fan of, and i think that when, my answer to this is i understand it's a huge industry and, and i also see how they've become movies basically i mean video games are as sophisticated you know the last of us and and it, uh, the ad- ad- adaptation of everyone's looking for the way to crack the code where they get it completely and they they can adapt a video game to a movie to a TV show. Sure. I thought Last of Us was terrific, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that I just don't think would uh, I, I'd be suited for it. So I mean, that's and, and I thought that came under the uh, the heading of a geek occupation. No, perfect. Or geek, that's yeah. perfect. It could have yeah. been whatever you want because you know. True. You, it's a, you know. Although, uh, do geeks want to be accountants? <laughs> you would be if my ex-wife was a geek about an accountant. That, and that's why she's your ex-wife. So there Think, you go. Oh, my, oh, there's my, lots I of rest reasons. my she's, case. She, there's lots of reasons she's my ex-wife. But that's a whole other story for a whole other therapy session. Yes. So. <laughs> All right. Bennett, you ready for your final question? I'm ready for the final question. And then uh, and then do, do people buzz me off or, or do or they don't want <laughs> If I stay, okay. Oh, yes. you'll see. You'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm preparing for a blast of air. Yes, you know what? I've got a, I've got a, a shifty answer, and my answer to uh, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? What uh, is your ultimate geek fantasy? Let's well, thanks it. for asking, Mike. Um, oh, no problem. You're taking over, so it's perfect. Uh, the surprise is that I've done it. I've done them both. My fantasies when I was a kid was I wanted to write movies and I wanted to make rides. And I have done both in my life. I actually uh, worked on an attraction uh, dur- during 2019. I decided I wanted to explore the world of themed entertainment as a writer. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, was, I worked on an attraction for a company that was a, um, a 4D movie pres- presentation at, at a an aquarium in Galveston, Texas. 
And they, and so they were losing their, they had a SpongeBob SquarePants IP that they were losing the rights to, and they needed to retheme the ride, and they were retheming it to uh, 20,000 Leagues because it was in the public domain. And the company needed a comedy rewrite of the material. And so I came in and did a comedy rewrite, and it was a blast. So I have done the ride, and I've done the movies, and I've got, the unbelievable pleasure of being able to actually do the two things that I dreamed about doing. And I don't, I don't talk to a lot of people who've had that extraordinary graciousness from the, this is why I'm so grateful from the universe that allowed me to do that. I'm, I'm so incredibly thrilled and happy that I got to do it, do them both, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. awesome. It is awesome. With a capital ah. Oh. I've got some great news for you, Bennett. Am I staying? You've made it through the gig seat. Am I coming back? Yay! Yay! Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. What do I win? What can I pick from? This is like the Criterion Closet. What can I, what can you I have take won, from? You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $82.06. That is fantastic. By the way, I, I, I can't tell if, if you're like a, you're a Tiki fan or if those are, are sort of Tiki monster, uh, like like it's it's kind of a a, a, a genre mix there. Yes. There is a there's a lot of yes. Uh, there's a lot of tiki monstrous uh, cr- um, sort of crossover mix things uh, back there. So yeah, I, I I like the tiki mug art form. Uh, so yeah, I do have a number of them. Uh, they are taking right. over my room. So uh, but uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I actually don't drink much, so they just. Uh, my mo- my mother calls them d- dust collectors. Uh, so uh, <laughs> and they're doing a great job. I Absolutely, they tell. collect a lot of dust, and she's trying dust, to so. rid the world of dust by adding it to his room. So exactly, I'll, I, I take right. it over so you, so you guys don't have to. But there uh, are areas of the world that are dustless because of your your your. Sound. I hope so. I can only hope so. It'll make it all worth it if that's true. Uh, uh, Ben, it's been amazing to have you with us, and and thank you so much for taking time from the picket lines to join us. Uh, of course, thank you, you know, with everything going on, we are definitely on on your side. Um, we hope thank that uh, things get not only resolved in your favor, but resolved quickly. Me too. I know. Um, it's boring. So, I, I mean, picketing is boring. Try it for a day. It's just <laughs> tedious. But well, uh, but there's a nice there. sense of camaraderie, you know, and and, and communion. To, to meet up with other writers and, and know that, yeah. And we're, and we're doing this for, you know, for the future writers. Uh, this is the third strike I've been 88,000, 2007 in this one. So uh, it's just incredible to me that it's keeps happening. Yeah, um, it does. It's, it does. And it, yeah. You know, they're all going to have to meet at a table and discuss things at the end of this. So why not make it sooner? Right. But I'll tell you what the good thing is. The writers are the, the the committee, the negotiating committee. The writers guild is such a smart guild. I'm going to say that they are smart, smart people, and so uh, they they're gonna they're gonna be great negotiators. I know they are already. So awesome, yeah. awesome. The writers, well, we of wish course, you... are smart, and and hopefully uh, everything can get back to work, and you can get back to doing what you do. Um, yes. and, 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 and certainly as you have future projects, you are always welcome back to join us, man. We'd well, love to help you. promote anything that you're doing. I had a great time, you guys. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was fun. Let's Bye. take a quick break and then we'll close up back and close up the show. Here you go. Wait. 
Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the animated show Unicorn Warriors Eternal. Genby Tartakowski's new show, Unicorn Warriors Eternal, has premiered on Adult Swim, and the first two episodes were a two-part introduction to the main characters and an idea of what the story will be for this incredibly stylized animated show by the animator-creator of Primal, Samurai Jack, and the Star Wars Clone Wars animated series. The first one from many, many years ago that had all the short Star Wars stories. This show is very influenced by Osamu Tezuka, who is the creator of Astro Boy. And you could really tell in Tartakovsky's animation direction just how incredibly like influenced he was by Tezuka in this. The large eyes to the spacey steampunk direction. This is an incredibly interesting animation take. And it's just beautiful to watch. The storyline follows three beings who are fighting an ultimate evil that is reborn every hundred years into a new form after it has been beaten. So the three warrior spirits are also reborn into new bodies to fight that evil when it emerges. They remember who they are due to a futuristic robot that goes through time and blasts them with a ray that awakens them to help them remember who they are. But this time something has gone wrong and one of them gets her powers but doesn't remember who she is or the fight that they're fighting. The first two episodes did a great job of introducing the main characters and leaving you intrigued for the big bad of the show since there is an evil force hinted that is helping the ultimate evil that the protectors have been fighting for millions of years and they don't know who this other evil big bad is going to be. I am really excited to see where this show goes and to see more of this incredibly beautiful animation as well, since it did a really great job of getting that like 1800s London European vibe, but also a really great steampunk futuristic vibe. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Clang. Clang. Clunk. We got some beer today. Yeah, beer. Big boys. But our podcast isn't about the booze. It's not just about It's not just things. about drinking and oh. clinking things. Oh, you're right. It is about, like, nerdy things Nerd and comic stuff. books and video games and movies. and Nerd stuff. Yeah. If you like anything nerdy, grab a drink and be nerdy with us. Join us. On, but first, let's talk nerdy. <laughs> So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Bennett, thank you so much for being a good sport and joining thank us. Thank you, tonight. guys. Great questions. Mediocre answers, but great questions. <laughs> you know, and that's what we, we expect on this show. You know, mediocre versus greatness. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good thing. I didn't want to give you the full Monty, you know. I, I thought... <laughs> oh, God, please, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed it. Thank you both. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, thanks. No, we do appreciate you very, very much. Anything you want to shout out about or promote while you have a chance? No, just keep your keep your eyes open for traction. The movies that that supernatural thriller we it's called Traction. That's all I can tell you for now. But it's it's a it's a pretty good plot. I, I mean, I was pretty pleased with it. So, uh, and it is a supernatural. Just in the way that um, Barbarian 
it was, was kind of like a, a, a mixed genre. That's what, what, like it started out as one, you thought it was going to be one type of movie and then it ended up being a whole different type of horror film. That's sort of, although we wrote ours 10 years ago, uh, that's, that's kind of what we're doing here with, you, know, you think it's this thing and it becomes something else, but definitely, uh, worth checking out. Traction. Definitely. Thank you very much. And we'll, you know, looking forward to when it comes out and we'll link, of course, to your IMDb in the yes. show notes and everything. So people go, he worked on that. He worked on that. Wow. I didn't know that. Ooh, he worked on that. Well, I wasn't <laughs> going there, but I was thinking. It, so it's okay. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, we've made it through another one. We another did. And one. as always, it's my pleasure. Yeah, that's right. To folks. Michael. Yes. We, it's Mike and Mike, and we are about to next week actually record our 700th episode. Wow. Yep. All right, take a break. Come on. Just relax. Nah. Oh, please. <laughs> Don't be so uh, That's for the week. ambitious. <laughs> ambitious. And we've only been doing this two weeks, so it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there's no unions in podcasting either, so I'm afraid we're just going to have to keep pounding the pavement. There you <laughs> go. Exactly. We, we demand the same kind of money Joe Rogan and those type of people get, you know? And, and uh, smartless. Oh, exactly. Kevin Smith money, you know. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, it'll be cool. So, you know, hell, I'd be happy with, with the money. Wait, wait, don't tell me, Mike. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Mike, what do you got for us this week? Uh, my shout out is just going to go to the uh, everybody at the uh, Writers Guild and everybody who refuses to cross picket lines and show their support. And uh, yeah, I just uh, hope this gets resolved soon and 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 in uh, the writers' favor. Oh, Thank very you. much so. Amen. Yeah. I agree Amen. with that completely. You know, yeah. Thanks, guys. What, what they said. No, that's my what shout they out. Said, right, right. <laughs> it's nice and easy, but you know, it's always awesome. And, you know, folks, as we like to say, thank you for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We couldn't do this without you guys. If you want to, you know, support our podcast, please check out our Tee Public store. We've got really kind of cool stuff up there. And you know what? We got new stuff coming right down the path, including a new ESO 700 t-shirt. So it'll be kind of cool when once it gets made. The design's still up here, you know, as they like to <laughs> but it's going to be on a t-shirt someday. So it'll be cool. You got a week, Faber. Oh, I know. Trust me, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But yeah, definitely um, check it out. We got some real cool ESO network swag. We have the link right on top of the ES or Station One webpage and also the ESO network webpage. Also remember, if you want to listen to our show before the rest of the world, please check out our Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support us here on Earth Station One. Check out the ESO Network Patreon at patreon.com slash ESO Network. We want to hear from you, so please write us anytime. Feedback at earthstation1.com. And remember, you can find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. We're even up there with the good ones, folks. So, you know, definitely <laughs> check us out. Also, you can check us out on video format up on YouTube. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, and Bennett Yellen, thank you so, so much. I do appreciate everybody joining us tonight. It's been a ton of fun. Bennett, you've been a great sport, and we will talk to you soon. Be Thanks, well. Guys. Peace. And we are done. Boom. Yay. Right on.
You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.